Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this episode with me. I can't wait to get into this topic of ADHD. I already told you before we started recording, I'm a little irritated that they made it all ADHD now because I'm not hyper, but I'm definitely ADD. So I want to talk about that too. But thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I am so pumped to be talking to you. So why don't we start with just taking a minute and let everybody know a little bit about you and what you do. Sure. That would be great. So my name is Kristen Carter and I have ADHD. I was diagnosed um, around age 20. And when I was diagnosed, I immediately went on medication. Uh, It was life-changing for me. My grades went right on the fridge. It was like the first time in my whole life that I felt like I was able to get all the things done. Um, It was a great experience, but (laughs) I didn't really understand what it meant to have ADHD. Uh, My doctor didn't tell me anything about it. I just thought it meant that I couldn't pay attention. Um, And so fast forward, I um, ended up opening up a learning center where I spent nearly a decade working with children and teens who struggled in school. And many of them had learning challenges, including ADHD. So that's really where my obsession started. I started doing all kinds of research um, and really, you know, was doing it for my students, but then remembering that I was diagnosed with ADHD and applying what I was learning to my own life, thinking, why didn't anyone tell me this? Um, And I I loved that job. I loved working with students, but mostly I love talking to their parents. And ADHD is very inheritable. It's as inheritable as height, which is wild. And so, you know, I would be talking to these parents whose children have ADHD, and they would be talking to me about their own ADHD, their own symptoms, and I would be able to have these conversations with them about it. Um, And that was really like the sneaky favorite part of my job. And I was like, maybe I'm in the wrong profession if talking to the parents is like the best part. So I eventually, like all of my research led me to starting a podcast. Um, I wanted to have a really fun and clear podcast on ADHD that combined coaching tools because I was getting into um, the coaching world and I just thought it was so fascinating. And I I really was excited to talk about ADHD and coaching. And so um, I started the I Have ADHD podcast at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. Um, but I never imagined that I would become a coach. I just thought that coaching was so cool. I just really loved um, learning about it. And I was honestly just kind of annoyed that no one else had started this podcast. Like, I want to go listen to a podcast that has a lot of research on ADHD and combined coaching tools with that. Why isn't anybody doing it? Like I was, sorry, a little entitled and annoyed. And then finally was like, oh, maybe I'm the one that's supposed to do that. So eventually I stepped into that. Um, And kind of just as a byproduct of that, my listeners began reaching out to me for help and asking for coaching. And because I had spent 
nearly a decade working with, you know, students with ADHD, I thought, you know, I've, I've developed so much um, to help these students. Maybe I could apply that to adults. And that really just started this magical, magical relationship where I, I, I figured out what I was always meant to do. And it really was by accident. I didn't, I didn't know that I was always meant to coach until I started coaching and then realized that I just had this like innate gifting to be able to coach, um, adults with ADHD, which was, uh, it was a surprise, (laughs) but, um, through lots of research and trainings and lecture watching and self-study, uh, I really honed that skill. And since then I've coached thousands of people with ADHD, which is just absolutely wild. Um, and I do that mostly in my group coaching program. Um, I have a membership for adults with ADHD. It's called focused. It's my favorite place to be. It's so much fun. Um, and I spend most of my time now there, uh, supporting adults all over the world who have ADHD and I consider it such a privilege. So yeah, my primary things are my podcast, which comes out weekly, um, which is a joy and also like, it's kind of hard to have a podcast. I don't know if you agree with that, but like, so I drop episodes on Tuesdays and Tuesdays come every single week. Like they're all, it's always Tuesday. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Tuesday already. So podcasting has been a fun and difficult journey and definitely a way that I've had to really work out my ADHD uh, deficiencies. And then also just coaching. Yeah, it's what I spend all of my uh, time thinking about. I just love it so much. Super fun. Well, you are right on the money about podcasting. And, you know, there's, there's a statistic out there that says most people that start a podcast don't even make it to episode 10 because wow. people don't understand how much work it is, you know? And I think like, it sounds so great in the beginning. You're like, oh, I'm just, I'm going to share information. This is going to be awesome. I had no plan when I started my podcast. I literally just wanted to share information. And yeah. I was always getting asked the same questions over and over again. So I was like, let me use this format. And then like when families call me for intervention, I could go, oh yeah, great. Go listen to this episode. I go into a lot of detail about that. I just wanted to share information. I had no idea that anybody was going to actually listen to it or <laughs> that that it would become a thing. But yeah, it is most people don't even make it past or don't even make it to 10 episodes because of the amount of work it is. And you said it so perfectly. It comes every single freaking week. (laughs) Like I put out new episodes on Wednesdays and it's like, I feel like it's like 10 minutes between episodes. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Wednesday again. Is everything done? Am I ready? You know, it's crazy. Totally, totally relate. Especially for my little ADHD brain. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... Here is something, this is where I want to jump in. And you and I were talking before we hit record about uh, why I wanted to talk about this or how I found you and all of those things. And for me, my journey, so to speak, with ADHD is kind of new. Mm -hmm. I always knew I had it on some level, but recently it has gotten to be a much bigger monster to deal with. And I think also, you know, being midlife and hormones and all of those things play a role in that as well. So I'm working on all of this stuff. But 
at the same time, you know, I'm a TikTok addict and TikTok has all of this phenomenal information about ADHD. So I started coming across these videos of people talking about the symptomology of ADHD. And as I started listening, I was like, oh my gosh, like I have all of that. And then there were other things that I didn't have any idea were ADHD that shocked me. And I also had all of those. (laughs) So I think where I would love to start is what are some of the most common symptoms, behaviors that everybody knows and is aware of? And then what are some of the less common symptoms mm. that maybe people aren't equating with ADHD? Love. Yeah. So I, I think that right now there's a really big shift in our culture um, moving from the stigma or the um, stereotype is what I mean of ADHD just being for like 11 year old white boys is essentially what like everybody thinks about, right? Like when you, when you hear the term ADHD, we picture a little white boy in a classroom kind of bouncing off the walls, or we all had that one classmate that just like couldn't keep their hands to themselves or like we're always getting in trouble. And that's what we associate with ADHD. And so when you're a, you know, um, a grown woman who's just kind of like hanging out on TikTok, being assaulted by all of this information, you're just like, excuse me, what? I had no idea. And I think that a lot of people, especially women, are um, kind of waking up to this knowledge of ADHD. And so while, um, you know, not everyone on TikTok is an expert and not everyone on TikTok is a friend, uh, it is still really a good thing that all of that information is out there readily available to the public. So things that are uh, considered symptoms of ADHD would be um, impulsivity. So not having a stop and think moment before you take action or before you say something. Um, so you interrupt people a lot. You make rash decisions. You jump to conclusions. You have a lot of difficulty like with patience and waiting your turn. Being distractible is obviously another one that is right up there in our level of consciousness. So like impulsivity, I think most people would associate that with ADHD and then distractibility as well. So what's interesting about this though, is most people, most people associate uh, the distractibility as a deficit of attention. And I just want to take a, just a little pause here and say, it's not actually that we don't have enough attention. We just struggle to regulate our attention. We have just as much attention as everybody else. We just have trouble putting it on the right thing for long enough to accomplish the goal, okay? So I think that's an important uh, note there. Um, Things that might be lesser known, um, you know, we have fewer dopamine receptors. And so I think this is really pertinent to our conversation today. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter. And we have fewer dopamine receptors, meaning essentially like our brain gets less dopamine than the average typical brain, Uh, which means things like laundry and dishes, they can really feel like death. Like it's, it's not just that we are lazy or that we just don't feel like doing the laundry or the dishes or whatever it is. It's like we have an actual physical reaction because we don't have the dopamine 
that the average human does. And so we don't get those little hits of like, oh, this is going to feel so good when it's done. We have to consciously create that for ourselves, which is something that, you know, can be done through therapy and coaching. Um, but it, that is a very important part. And just a side note here, when we do talk about, um, just like the timing of your diagnosis, estrogen is also a neurotransmitter. I never knew this. I just yeah. had a podcast interview um, in the spring with Dr. Patricia Quinn, who explained to me that estrogen is a neurotransmitter. And so yeah. when your estrogen uh, levels drop, your ADHD symptoms increase a ton. And so it makes sense. A lot of women are diagnosed in their midlife when they're starting perimenopause or going through menopause because of the lower levels of estrogen the heightened ADHD symptoms are now not being able to be managed. Um, that was just a rabbit trail. I'm going to, I'm going to hop back on here. Now it's, I love that you say that you don't like the word hyperactive. It's very cute. I understand. (laughs) (laughs) It's adorable, but it doesn't feel cute. It's real cute. Okay. So for people who even have inattentive type of ADHD, which is the more like um, spacey, kind of like not able to pay attention type of ADHD. Um, there is still a level of hyperactivity, but the hyperactivity happens in our brain. The hyperactivity is the spinning of the brain, the constant intrusion of thoughts, the never ending barrage of like, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do this. I'm not sure what this is. And just like, The spin cycle inside of the brain, that's where the hyperactivity often takes place. And because we who are, uh, because women are so socialized to be pleasers and to be rule followers, most women with ADHD internalize so much of that hyperactivity. So I, I, um, am actually like, physically hyperactive. I, I did not have the ability to internalize all of it. I was bouncing off the walls. I was jumping around. I was, um, like always knocking things over and just like being really, um, I was, it was a lot. It was a lot. And, but most, uh, most of the time, if you're not super hyperactive, you're going to internalize it and it's going to be an internalizing, um, an internal hyperactivity, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Um, and it makes perfect sense when you, when you said it to me like that, that makes perfect sense. I'm like, yes, that's exactly who my brain is. Like it's sheer madness. (laughs) My brain moves so fast, 24 hours a day. And yeah, it is really challenging to manage that thing. Mm, 100%. Yep. 100%. Most people with ADHD are time-blind. So this is why, uh, <laughs> this is why we're like always late. It's like, we didn't realize it was two o'clock. We don't even know what day it is. It's not that we can't manage our time. We literally don't understand time. We're just like, what is time? It's not even a real thing. I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. And so it's like, oh, next Tuesday, there's a paper due. And we're like, I don't know what that means. I don't care. Cause it's not now. So there's this saying in the community where it's like, if it's not now, then it just doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's either now or not now. And if it's not now, I I don't care about it. I just 
learned about this like two days ago. <laughs> I had no idea that this was a thing in that yeah. that sort of future planning is such a struggle because it's not now. And this totally. was such a beautiful light bulb moment for me because in business, I have really been struggling with this aspect for a few years, but I had no idea that this was just part of my ADHD brain. I had no yeah. idea. And I heard a doctor like doing a speech about it. Um, it looked like he was at a conference or something. And he was talking about, I was like, oh my gosh, that is exactly what I have been dealing with yeah. and being really angry about, right? Being really mm. mad at myself for it. Like, Angela, what in the world is wrong with you? Like, get it together, dude. You need to get more organized or be more of this or you need to hire somebody. Like, something has to happen, you know? Yeah. 100%. And I think so much of our work as ADHDers is accepting that like, oh, this is actually a symptom of ADHD. I'm not just a bad person. Mm -hmm. I'm not just lazy. Well, and, that, and that's what I was going to ask you next too, is to talk about some of the effects that mm. this has on us from an emotional standpoint. Because I know like anything else, this is going to cause you to feel a certain way about yourself or talk to yeah. yourself a certain way or think that, certainly for people with addiction, because we have a tendency to be um, very less than thinkers. We are less yeah. than everybody for every reason. Yeah. So I would think there would be some major emotional consequences yeah. to dealing with this, especially if you don't understand, and social consequences. Oof. Yes, 100%. Let me give you three more symptoms and then I'm going to circle back to that question because that's an amazing question. Perfect. So one symptom that I think is, is really misunderstood or really just not known is that we really struggle to regulate our emotions. And um, if, if you could just kind of wrap your mind around ADHD being not a disorder of like poor attention, but a disorder of self-regulation. So we struggle, we struggle to regulate our attention and we really struggle to regulate our emotions, which means that we can also be often be really explosive. We can be emotionally unpredictable. We have a really hard time, um, self-soothing. We get frustrated really easily. We can, um, kind of react bigger than what's expected for the situation and then kind of embarrass ourselves with that. But it, it stems back to this inability to regulate, to identify, process, and soothe our own emotions. And so that's really something that, um, as people start the self-development work with ADHD, that's one of the most important parts. Okay. So two more. One is, um, our working memory totally sucks. So it's not just, it's not, you know, uh, forgetting life events. It's not that. It's not like, like you can remember like, oh, we went to Disneyland when I was eight years old and it was am amazing. Like you're going to remember those sorts of things, but you're never going to remember to stop and get milk on the way home from work. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to remember often that like if something changes in your schedule, like, oh, I have a dentist appointment. So I have to like leave a little early, go to the dentist, like that. You're probably going to forget about that. Um, if your kid needs to be picked up today from soccer at 4.15 instead of 4.30, you're going to get there at 4.30 and they're going to be waiting for 15 minutes. Like 
those kinds of um, memory things are really, really difficult for adults with ADHD. And then the last one I'll mention is planning and organization. Planning, prioritizing, organization is very, very, very difficult. And this is why adults with ADHD are often really messy, really scattered, like papers flying everywhere. Like the stereotype, I think, of the adult is kind of like the nutty professor kind of um, look, you know, where it's just kind of like haphazard and things flying out of their, out of their briefcase. It's, it, it's really difficult for us to plan, prioritize, organize, and get everything kind of in a, a proper order. So fascinating. There's so many things you've said. I mean, listen, my audience knows I, one of the things I complain about the most in life is the dishwasher <laughs> because it makes me crazy. You know, I love the things that it's like one and done, but this is the thing, like this thing needs to be done all the time. And it makes me insane. Yeah. Is it and, and exactly what you're saying, like the prioritizing, like there are certain things that just don't interest me, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are the domestic things. Like I am a business person through and through. I can do business 24 hours a day. I never get yeah. tired of it. It thrills me. It's stimulating. But when it comes to domestic things around my house, like I couldn't care less. I'm not dirty, but... I don't care, you know, like I'll wipe things down and keep it clean. I don't want bugs, but, but certainly I, you know, I have a stack of stuff on the end of the counter. Like when I come in from the car, everything goes in this one spot and it can get crazy, you yeah. know, or vacuuming, like whatever the thing is, it's like, yeah, whatever, I'll do it later. Yeah. And I wonder if you could give your business a dopamine rating. How much dopamine do you get from business versus the domestic task? How much dopamine are we really getting from running the vacuum? It's such a beautiful way to think about it. But sometimes I really appreciate those tasks. Like when I start doing them, I really appreciate them because it's calming too. It's yeah. very calming to be in something that doesn't require a lot of brain space and I can just kind of chill, but it's getting to the point of doing it. It's just like, yeah, whatever, dude, one day totally. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> so we put that in the category of task initiation, getting yourself to start the thing. It's real hard. Yeah. And then really hard. not only do we struggle with task initiation, we also struggle to complete the task. <laughs> so it's finishing it. So we struggle to start it and we struggle to finish it. It's a double whammy. It's just, yeah. we're doubly blessed. Doubly blessed. That's right. <laughs> yes. And I know the distractibility mm -hmm. is so huge and that's probably the main thing that I've always identified with very easily, you know, where I'll open a tab on my computer first thing in the morning with the intent of doing something and two hours later, I'll have 20 tabs open on my computer. And I never even did the first thing that I started with because yeah. there's just, it's like, there's a rabbit hole on every tab. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, but look at that. Oh, let's take care of this real quick. Well, let's do this. We need to handle this. Maybe we'll just do this. It'll only take a few minutes. Yeah. It's insanity. Totally. And that goes back to just regulating yourself, being able to see that you're impulsive and regulate that attention to the one thing that you set out to do. It is 
nearly impossible sometimes. And to your point where you asked about like, how does it feel? What implications does it bring up with people um, who struggle with ADHD? I think there's a lot of shame that we carry from um, knowing that those quote unquote simple things are actually very hard for us. Mm -hmm. The uh, paradox of ADHD is that simple things are so hard, but often complex things like business, podcasting, you're amazing at it. Coaching, the complex things, showing up and helping people complex. And so the complex things can often like, we're amazing problem solvers. We can be very creative, not all the time, but kind Mm -hmm. of like stereotypically creative. Um, We can really engage and hyper-focus on the things that we are gifted in and that we Mm -hmm. love to do. And so things that people would look at and be like, how do you have such a successful podcast? It's amazing, Angela. And you're just kind of like, yeah, well, I, I don't really know. I can't, I don't, I hate loading my dishwasher, but yeah, I'll do a podcast, right? Yes, it's like it's so simple things that don't bring very much dopamine. And they're just like, ugh, there's kind of never ending like laundry and dishes and cleaning and that kind of thing. Um, we can really struggle with those. And I think that we have a lot of shame. I think as a community, we carry a lot of shame around like, I should be better at these simple tasks. And one of the things that is so important for me with my clients and and just the people that I work with is like, no, you should not be better at it. (laughs) That is my message all of the time. You should not be better at it. It should be hard. Dishes should be excruciating for you. It should not feel good. And but we have this um idea that like I I I just I shouldn't struggle with this. Like Mm-hmm. I don't see my peers struggling with it. Why are all the other moms able to get to soccer practice pickup at the right time and I'm the mom that can't do it? Well, because you have ADHD and your time yeah, that's so huge. Your nonverbal working memory sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that really to. that really struck a chord with me too when you said that about not remembering the things, right? I literally have to look at my calendar. 20 times a day just to make sure that I'm showing up at the right time for my appointments. And I'm pretty good at remembering, but I'm not good at knowing what day it is. Mm. Horrible at knowing what day it is. I'm pretty good at remembering my appointments, but I think because I check so much, you know, I'll, I'll consistently just reinforce like, you know what, let me just double check and make sure that I've got that time right in my head. Let me make sure I have everything ready. Yeah, it's that sounds it is like hard. anxiety working in your favor. Yeah. Oh, yeah, probably. But I also I don't feel like and this is probably my recovery work. Mm. I don't carry a lot of shame mm-hmm. um about much to be honest <laughs> because I'm really pretty accepting of myself at this mm-hmm. stage of the game and I don't feel like I'm broken. See, this was a part of my addiction where for so many years of my life, I felt like I was defective and like I wasn't even fixable. And when I finally understood my alcoholism and all the things that are underneath that, it was the first time ever in my life I was like, oh, wait a minute, I'm not broken. 
this is totally fixable, you know? And that was such a huge moment for me because nobody wants to feel broken and defective. I literally had a period of my life that I felt like I was a curse for other people. Like if you were friends with me, bad things would happen to you. Like that's what I thought of myself. And I've done so much work just getting into a place of acceptance. And this is part to why I'm so obsessed with the brain because this was a big part of my healing and understanding that the brain just has its own ideas. You know, the brain is doing its own thing and I didn't break it. I didn't do anything to my dopamine receptors. You right. know, like it's not my fault. My alcoholism wasn't my fault. Now, did I play a role? Absolutely. And do I have to take responsibility for that and make changes? For sure. But yeah, that's what, so I don't have a lot of guilt or shame for those things because I'm like, okay, this is just who I am and this is how my wiring is. And I really like me and, and I'm pretty fascinating. Even in the weird stuff is pretty fascinating. My brain is fascinating. (laughs) I love it. But that I have so much power in that too, right? That I have so many resources. And this is something I love about podcast world and social media is we have so much information and so many people to choose from when you're looking for guidance. Mm -hmm. It's not about now, like when I was young, going through the phone book and finding a professional, right? Or doing a Google search and finding a professional, but now you can really dig in and get to know people and their philosophies and how they do things and what they believe. And you have so much available to you to heal those pieces. And my thing is like, I'm not going to be ashamed of how my brain was made because I didn't make the damn thing, right? <laughs> like I didn't do it, <laughs> but it is incredibly important that I understand my challenges so that I can figure out a way to work around them. Mm. So getting to know all of this stuff about an ADHD brain for me is brilliant and eye-opening because now I'm like, okay, now I have a better understanding of what I need to put in place to work around my brain and all of its fascinating little pieces. (laughs) I love that. And I think that um, the work that you've done in recovery must contribute to that so much. Yeah. I also had the experience of relief when I began to learn about ADHD and the symptoms. I did have that like, oh, so I'm not just a bad person. Okay. Like there's an actual reason. I think that... um, before you know about it though, it's like, what is wrong with me? Why can everybody do this? And I can't, I remember in high school, like kind of peering over at my friend's planner and being like, wait, what? Like she writes it down and she color codes it and she's writing something in it now. Like I can't even find a pencil. How is she doing this? I, I, I really just, so I can be back there in a second. Like I, we were sitting in history. It was Bonnie. She was sitting right next to me. I'm looking at her. I'm like, how is this happening? Like, I can't even find a pencil and you are like color coding your planner. Like, why can't I do that? And so learning about it, I think is one of the most empowering things that we can do for ourselves. 
It also gets a little bit confusing because there's a lot of those symptoms I don't have. Like I'm pretty organized. Mm. And now listen, this is probably recovery and personal development work too, because I didn't start that way. <laughs> you know, there just, you go. Yeah. I've gotten that way in yeah. the last several years, like very organized, certainly as an entrepreneur, like you have to get some of those skills or you're never going to survive. Mm-hmm. So it is just kind of prioritizing. But yeah, but I think sometimes it can be confusing because there are symptoms that I know of that I don't have. And like, I have a friend of mine, an old business partner of mine, who's one of my favorite people in the world. I just adore him. He has one of the worst cases of ADHD I've ever seen. And the friendship was really challenging at times because I would get so frustrated with some of his behaviors. And then I started figuring out it was ADHD. Like, I remember one time being at dinner and we're talking, well, he's talking mostly and the moment that he pauses and actually asked me a question, I start answering his question. And literally in the middle of my sentence, he's like, I have to go to the bathroom. Where's the bathroom in this place? And literally gets up, throws his napkin down, and he's off. And I'm like, <laughs> like there's this sort of inability to stay engaged if it's not about them, too, which is probably a little bit narcissism because you know a lot of addicted people have some narcissistic traits, too. That's very common. But Yeah, but it was just things like that made that friendship really challenging at times because it's hard to not personalize that. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to not go, wow, how disrespectful. I want to put all these labels on it. And and it's none of those things, right? It's and he doesn't really even have the awareness that he does it. So like I can't be angry at him for it. It's just getting some knowledge and education and figuring out how to work around it. Totally. And I, I think too that it is totally appropriate to call people out. Mm-hmm. You know, like and and this is like the um the dance that we do as ADHDers is okay, I'm gonna accept myself. Like for example, if we just use time, I'm gonna accept that like I suck at time. But also I know that there's impact when I'm late to things. I know that there's an impact, like it impacts people and sometimes it impacts it them really negatively. Mm-hmm. And so it's this like both and like the truth of, I'm so sorry, this is an ADHD thing and I totally messed this up. And the truth of like, I know this impacted you. And so even though it's quote unquote, not my fault, I know that I had impact that I didn't intend, but still hurts. And so I want to take responsibility for that, but I also don't want to shame myself for my ADHD uh, symptoms. And it, it, it's got, it's like a both. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard because I think in um, our world, especially, um, gosh, do I sound old when I say, especially in 2022, but like we want everything to be very black and white. You're either a good person or you're a bad person. Right. Either this yeah. was right or it was wrong. And like, I, I think there's got to be room for some gray area of like, okay, I understand that this is an ADHD quality and that you're very distracted right now, but like, hi, I'm a person. I just, you just asked me a question. I'm mid sentence, like bring it back, you know? And Holding people accountable while still having empathy for the disorder, I think it's it's got to be both. Yeah, I agree. And that's huge because that's a piece of acceptance too, right? It's not one totally. or the other. And we talk about this a lot on my podcast for sure and in coaching. Like I always say, I'm a thousand piece puzzle. 
it's very rarely black and white. I'm not all one way or all the other way. I'm a thousand piece puzzle and there are a lot of pieces in there and some of them are really fantastic. Some of them are really dark, right? Just because I'm a high functioning person and I'm sober and, you know, I've got my life together for the most part doesn't mean I don't have dark days. Doesn't mean I don't lose my temper. It doesn't mean some days I don't have my shit together at all, right? It's not one or the other. It is a thousand piece puzzle and it all goes together. Yeah, I really resonate with that. Okay, so here's something that has come up recently that I would love your thoughts on and then I'll let you go because I know we've already been talking a long time and I could probably talk to you all day. Um, (laughs) Now I'm hearing this term neurodivergent. Mm. And I was familiar with this term more in Asperger's, not so much in ADHD. So I kind of wanted to hear from somebody with much more knowledge than me, for sure. What is neurodivergent? What exactly does it mean? And does ADHD fall in that category? That is a fascinating question because as you're asking, I'm like, oh, crap, I don't know the answer to this. I don't know the answer. Why is she asking me this question? Um, I'm doing it to be mean. (laughs) How did she find the one thing that I don't know the answer to? (laughs) Well, this is really, I mean, I think this is a pretty new thing because I've just been seeing it on TikTok where all these things are popping up, neurodivergent, and then I'll see ADHD, like the text Mm -hmm. on there will be, and I'm like, oh, ADHD is neurodivergent. Okay. Mm -hmm. I guess, I guess technically, I guess it is. It just... I never yeah, thought so of it in that, that term. The way that I would define it is like if your brain does not function in a societally typical way, then you would be on the neurodivergent uh, spectrum. Now, right. that could include autism spectrum disorder, uh, ADHD, OCD, bipolar, like all kinds of different neurodivergencies. So right. it's not necessarily one thing or another. It's just... Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, our society has a very particular box of what typical looks like. And so mm-hmm. if your brain functions outside of the box of typical, mm-hmm. then you would be considered neurodivergent. That is my understanding. Um, I consider I myself that to be is neurodivergent. My, that is my understanding as well. So mm-hmm. I just... Like I said, I just had never heard of like ADHD being mm-hmm. in that category. And it does technically does it makes perfect sense. Of course it would be in that category. Sure. Addiction would be in that category too, as a brain disease, right? Like mm-hmm. all those things would fit. I just hadn't heard that term used in those arenas before. Yeah. In my community, we definitely identify, most of us identify as being neurodiverse. Meaning that like our brains don't function in the typical way of the um, typical American society. And there, you know, it it makes it very interesting because a lot of people don't love the term disorder. Mm. A lot of people really, really struggle with that. For me personally, and the way that I lead my community I actually think the term disorder is more empowering than trying to look at it through a positive lens of like, it's a superpower and it makes you amazing. Because um, when I try to think about ADHD as a superpower or as a gift, 
it makes me really frustrated because I'm like, if this is a gift, why isn't it more fun? <laughs> why am I not having more fun with yes. this gift, right? And so I think that it's actually very validating, in my opinion, it's very validating to label ADHD as a disorder because the, it then allows me to accept these things about me. Okay, I am going to be more impulsive. And that's not my fault. That's the way my brain works. I am going to struggle with my working memory. Uh, that's not my fault. I am going to be time blind. I am going to have struggle, uh, trouble regulating my emotions. All of that falls under the umbrella of like, yeah, this makes sense. I have a disorder. And if I do not treat the disorder in whatever way that I deem uh, acceptable and helpful to me and my body, if I don't treat it, then it's going to manifest itself and it's going to disrupt my life. It's going to be something that uh, adds negativity to my life. When my ADHD is well-managed, I can see th certain things. Like we um, stereotypically are pretty creative. Stereotypically, we have a lot of energy. Stereotypically, but these are all stereotypes. This is not mm -hmm. research-based information. There is no mm -hmm. research to say someone with ADHD is more um, creative than someone mm -hmm. without ADHD, at least not that I know of. So you can go ahead and, well, don't email me. <laughs> I don't want email. <laughs> um, the, the gift aspect is more anecdotal. And I think it's lovely when it comes with like, okay, when you are treating it really well, you can see aspects that really do help us to be entrepreneurs. We've got yeah. a lot of creativity, a lot of energy, a lot of ability to solve problems. But if we're not managing our ADHD, all of that is dwarfed by the fact that we can't even start the task that we need to start. And so like right. all of that, all of those good features that maybe could be plucked out of the ADHD um, diagnosis are not even able to be to be uh, on display because we're so held back by our explosive emotions that are ruining relationships. Sure. Okay. So I said the last question was going to be the last one, but I lied because this was, you just brought me perfectly into, so managing it. So let's talk mm. about the managing it part and what do those options look like? Medication, mm. um, stimulant, non-stimulant, non-medication, like what does it look like to manage ADHD? So this is a very individual choice and I am not a doctor. So those two things need to be like the, at the forefront as you listen to me talking, just know, first of all, I'm not a doctor. And second of all, this is totally an individual choice. The research is very clear that medication is the, um, I'm going to use the word best but most effective way to manage ADHD symptoms. Uh, there's a lot of research out there. We could, and we kind of did this like, you know, off camera, but we could talk about how like we might not trust uh, all of the pharmaceutical things and, and that I, I'm behind that as well. But there is extensive research, especially on um, adamoxetine, which is a non-stimulant medication. The... Um, it's called Stratera. What's it called when like the medication has the weird name and then the friendly name that they use? Anyway, the friendly name is Stratera and the like the legit name is Adamoxetine. 
That's been around for decades. It's been studied mm-hmm. over and over. It's non-stimulant. Um, it is uh, a highly effective way of managing symptoms. It works with one particular area of the brain. Right now, it's not coming to me which area it is. It's all housed in the frontal lobe, but there's like different parts uh, that yeah. these different medications hit. Another medication, um, it, it's like kind of like the class of stimulants. And so that would be like your methylphenidate, your Adderall, your um, Ritalin. And it just is really like what works best for you and your body. I spent a long time on a stimulant and it worked beautifully. And then I took a break and had babies. Um, and then when I went back on the stimulant medication after babies, it did not feel good in my body. I like the first day I was like, Oh my goodness, this is not okay. And medication should be making you feel better, not mm-hmm. worse. Just mm-hmm. like a PSA. It should make mm-hmm. you feel better, not worse. That's the point. Okay. So that. Research shows that medication is the most effective treatment. In addition to that, there are a lot of things that you can do because pills do not teach skills. Like you can take Mm -hmm. medication and still be a pretty low functioning human. And so I always recommend that people um, elicit the help of a trauma-informed therapist. Um, I know not everyone has access even to healthcare and medication, And not everyone has access to therapy either. But if you do have access, I highly, highly, highly recommend um, eliciting the help of a trauma-informed therapist because most of us with ADHD have some flavor of childhood trauma. That's a whole other conversation. Addiction's the same, yeah. Okay, perfect. And it has not been well-researched, and it should be. And I think we're doing the ADHD community a disservice by not researching that. But then again, that goes back to like, is that beneficial for this pharmaceutical companies to research Mm -hmm. whether or not it's caused by trauma? So like, I know I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I do ask questions. And that is one of my questions. Um, So trauma-informed therapy, I think is a really, really lovely way. I don't even think your therapist needs to know anything about ADHD. That's my personal opinion, because there's Mm -hmm. ADHD coaches out there that can give you the ADHD expertise and advice. Most therapists have very limited training on ADHD, mm-hmm. like a page in a textbook. Okay. Mm-hmm. Same like with that addiction. Was their training. So it's very frustrating because people will go to therapy for ADHD help. And unless the person is explicitly an ADHD, th- you know, expert, Um, most people are very disappointed. So what I always recommend is that people use therapy for healing trauma, for really getting their relationships and their boundaries and their um, kind of like their emotional maturity uh, Mm -hmm. regulated. And then there are so many great ADHD coaches out there. um, And I have found that coaching has been extremely transformative for me personally. Um, it has changed my whole life. It has turned me from someone who was medicated and low functioning into someone who is still medicated, but very high functioning, always getting everything done that I want to get done-ish. Um, <laughs> being able to set goals and complete them, like just really being able to achieve in the way that I always wished I could. And that is the experience for my clients as well. There's just magic in coaching. Um, Amen. Right? It's such a beautiful approach. Yeah, it's such a beautiful Uh, approach to things and such a positive connotation too and supportive and 
and really forward moving, you know, and I think that's sometimes we get hung up. I hear, uh, I get a lot of feedback from clients and always have over the years where they feel like talk therapy, you know, served a purpose for a period of time, but they almost hit a place that it's like, okay, what, what's next? Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, like they want more and talk therapy is not really set up for a lot more, right? I mean, it's talk therapy. It is what it is. So I think coaching can be a really magical component Absolutely. Um, and, and I'm like you, like I studied coaching. I was always fascinated with coaching. Mm-hmm. I followed Tony Robbins from the time I was a very young teenager because he was the first, you know, famous life coach, Absolutely. you know, and I loved him and I bought all of his tapes and then mm-hmm. DVDs because that's how old I am. Um, <laughs> but, but I loved, it. I was always fascinated with it. And once I started doing it as work and really studying it, I mean, it is life-changing. And then having coaches for myself, it's like, oh my gosh, this is the direction I have always wanted, the support yeah. and direction and accountability that I've always wanted in my whole life for everything, you know, for yeah. developing that emotional maturity, developing business skills, communication skills, relationship skills, like all of that I have gotten through coaches. You know, it's really incredible. It is so incredible. And I would love to nerd out with you and just talk about coaching forever because I have so many thoughts because I think the industry is a little bit like the wild, wild west. And yeah, they're for sure. like, not everyone is a good coach. And so yeah. one of the things that I say to people, and you probably listener, like, know this about Angela. Like if you get value ahead of time from the person, if you get help and change for free from the person, that's usually a pretty good indicator that they're going to be able to give you way more, um, you know, when you engage them in a coaching relationship. The only times I've been disappointed in coaching is when I didn't take the process slow enough to see if I could get value for free from the person right. before I hired them, before I paid yeah. the money. Yeah. And so when your listeners hear you, Angela, and they're like, oh my gosh, she's changing my life. It makes it so easy for them to engage with you in a coaching right. relationship because it's like, I already know you've changed my life. Like I, right. I already, I already know. So like, let's go. There's that, um, there's that credibility and that trust already. And I, I, I have so many thoughts about the industry because there are, like real weirdos out there being like, I'm a life coach. Like don't hire those people. Okay. Like make sure, <laughs> make sure that they can change your life for free before you ever pay them a cent. Okay. Additional, um, scaffolding. I like to call it scaffolding. I got that term from Dr. Russell Barkley. He's like one of the foremost psychologists, um, for ADHD. And he, he describes the support as scaffolding. So you are yeah, the building, love that. you are raising up, you are growing, and the scaffolding is just there to support you. And the scaffolding, usually, it never leaves, right? We, we're going to need that scaffolding. And so mm-hmm. your building will go as high as you're willing to build that scaffolding. So the foundation, I think, is medication, therapy, coaching, and then there's things like community. You need to feel like you're not alone, right? And I For think sure. that's one of the things that TikTok has done. Is really made people be like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only crazy person, right? Like it's like, okay, there's camaraderie, there's community here. Um, exercise can be very helpful. There's a ton of research about exercise and 
how helpful it can be for the brain. I hate exercising. And so this has been one of my things that I'm like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I hate it. I'll hike. I like to hike, but that's it. I'm not going to the gym. I'm like, I refuse. So even though these things, I'm also like, I suck at eating. I suck at it. So people are like, change your diet. I'm just like, I can't even remember to eat. Like, how am I going to like food prep and, and like buy all of this stuff? I just, it's a no for me personally. And that's why this journey needs to be very, um, unique to each individual because some people, some of you listening are like, Oh my gosh, if I knew there was a diet, um, that could help my brain function at a higher capacity, I'll do it. For me, I'm like, Nope, I'm going to drink my athletic greens and move on with my life. I'm not Mm going to think about food. I mean, I'm going to eat, but like, I'm not going to be like, okay, anyway, we can cut that part out. Uh, (laughs) I'm like rabbit trail. Um, what else? I think that's, that it, that's the bulk of it. Diet and exercise. There's not a lot of research to say that it's like really transformative, but obviously it helps your brain function better. Like we know that it's not ADHD specific research, but it's obvious that like there are certain foods that help your brain perform better. Mm-hmm. Um, well, exercise is brain specific. I mean, there is a ton of research yeah. to back up like how effective exercise is and that exercise is actually more beneficial than anti-anxiety medication and anti-depression medication. So that's and I'm still how- I'm not going to do it. Right. See, but that's how I grew to- be an exercise person because I'm so terrified because I have an addicted brain. So Mm. I'm so terrified to take those medications because my brain internalizes those medications in a very different way than a non-addicted person. So, and listen, plenty of people take those medications and they're fine. And medication definitely has its place. I am probably not one of those people. And I'm not going to poke the bear if I don't have to. Yeah, Yeah, totally. So I think this is a a really perfect place for me to say that the research does show that people with ADHD are two to three times more likely to struggle with substance use disorders. So I think that's really, really important for everyone to understand. Like we are predisposed to be addicts. We really are in so many ways. And I so think many ways. In yeah. So many ways. And so that, especially that now goes, with the digital world, like it's yeah. just magnified now. Yeah, 100 percent The re- there hasn't been research on adults that I know of, but the research shows that if you are treated for ADHD as a child or an adolescent, it actually lowers the risk of becoming an addict. I love that. I love that statistic. Yeah. Um, it also, there's research to show that like 20, something like 20% of people incarcerated today have ADHD. So when you think about like all of the implications of ADHD, um, the decision to medicate or not medicate needs to be taken really seriously. And I love that you've thought it through. You're like, I absolutely know how I'm going to treat it. And it's not going to be with medication. I think that's very respectable. I think also if you go, if you are seeing a doctor who understands addiction and understands ADHD and they tell you, if the doctor themselves tells you like, I think that this would be actually more beneficial for you to take it. I just want to empower anyone listening that like, if that's the right decision for you, that is okay. 
So yeah, I will do that too. Yeah. Like if I continue what I'm doing now, if I continue this path and my symptoms of ADHD continue to be what they've become, I cannot go on that way. Right. So if I don't have some improvement, I will definitely be trying something else. Mm. I love that you said a doctor that knows addiction and knows ADHD, because I think that's a unicorn. I don't think that is a real, I don't think that's a real person. Mm. (laughs) It would be nice, but I don't think that's a real person. Kristen, thank you. Any doctors listening want to specialize, could you specialize in addiction (laughs) and ADHD, please? That would be great. Yes. And start a podcast and a YouTube channel (laughs) and call me to collaborate because I've got lots of work for you. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you again for coming on and doing this with me. What a great conversation. I think there's Mm -hmm. been so much value here and especially sharing personal experience. That's always so much more impactful. Mm, It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.